Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Well, thank you so very, very much. And welcome to uh, Harlem America. And welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Now today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Regina Smith. As Harlem Business Alliance's Executive Director, Regina has for 15 years continuously advocated for Harlem small businesses and sought to provide Black entrepreneurs with cutting-edge instruction and one-on-one technical assistance from subject matter experts. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Regina Smith is what's hot. Hello, Regina. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, my pleasure. It's been my vision for a while to have uh, you on to talk about the resources of the Harlem Business Alliance and, and uh, to talk about some of the initiatives that are so near and dear to your heart, like the uh, uh, Economic Restorative Justice uh, Initiative. So, First of all, let me tell people who are not from Harlem, people who may be listening around the the world, what the Harlem Business Alliance is. Before we get started, uh, I think it's appropriate that uh, they know what we're going to be talking about. The Harlem Business Alliance is a 501c3 not-for-profit established in 1980, is laser-focused on Black economic empowerment and We're going to talk about that today. So, Regina, let's take the Wayback Machine and tell us what it was like for Regina growing up in Harlem. Wow. It it was an experience. I mean, it was a a fascinating experience on so many levels. Um, I grew up in the St. Nicholas Projects, and um, it was... um, yeah, it was it, it, it was difficult sometimes. Uh, I was lucky uh, to have a mother who was deeply interested and committed in the movement. And that was around the civil rights movement. So um, she and her uh, friends um, organized uh, and, and assisted and worked in various aspects of um uh, of our lives that required um, strong individuals to participate in the struggle. So one small example, but but one of many, was the school across the street that was a uh, public school named after John Hancock. And they said, wait a minute, we can't have this school named after John Hancock. We're going to have to change the name of the school. And so they changed it. I mean, it was changed to Harriet Tubman. Uh, and, and they were fighting. There was community control of, of, of schools uh, during that time. There was a whole, uh, 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 you know, fight over that. And uh, they got involved in education because, of course, education is key, is critical uh, to, to the well-being and, and the growth of, of, of any people. Uh, you absolutely have to educate your children. They have to be educated well. And unfortunately, that isn't what happened. Um, in, in Harlem, Harlem, Harlem's children were not being um, prepared 
uh, to read and write and, and, and compute math and, and um, to learn about science um, in our community as in other Black communities because there was no desire to see Black people thrive. And so uh, there were a number of movements, as we know, civil rights was, was uh, you know, was at the fore. Um, and uh, we had great people here in the Harlem community. My mother knew Malcolm X. Uh, she went uh, to uh, the Audubon to, to, to hear him speak, uh, knew him personally, mm-hmm. met um, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, worked with ministers, worked with How You Act. Uh, did all those sorts of things. So I grew up around people who were dedicated to the struggle and who wanted to see us do better and wanted better things for their children. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the community that I grew up in. Uh, The women and men that I admired and have tried to emulate, you know, for my entire life. What did uh, as as you were growing up? What, what did you want to What did you want to become? What, uh, are Are you realizing that uh, that the dream for yourself now? Well, initially, I wanted to become a doctor. My sister and girlfriend and I, we thought that we would become three doctors and have a, a practice together. And uh, two of us uh, discovered that we we were too squeamish. <laughs> uh, my sister did, in fact, become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one out of three, that wasn't bad. And then uh, later, I wanted to become a lawyer. I wanted to become an attorney for the people. Okay. And uh, so uh, my mother and a family friend um, suggested that I um, attend the University of Pennsylvania, go to Wharton undergrad and learn about business mm-hmm. because... Um, I was more likely to earn a living, <laughs> okay, a decent <laughs> living, so that I could provide for myself and for my children. And um, I was raised by my mother. Spoke, you know, I, I loved her dearly, um, um, but she was a single mother, so she she struggled with that, and she struggled with raising three children. Um, and uh, so I didn't want to be in a position where, if I became a single parent that, you know, I wouldn't be able to take care of my kids. So I said, all right, I won't do law. Um, I'll go to business school. But that really wasn't something that I was interested in doing as, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, so what I've done with business is to help Black people, Black men and women who are interested in or who are entrepreneurs to learn as much as they possibly can to connect them to opportunities and also to push and fight for the type of uh, services, support services, supportive services that that our folks need Mm -hmm. in order to thrive. Uh, It has unfortunately not been a priority in this community. Uh, by um, our elected officials, um, by um, Democratic or Republican leadership that we've had in this city. Um, So um, I understand that as a community, we are uh, troubled uh, by so many different things. I mean, you know, survival issues, you know, eating, you know, uh, food, uh, health, education, um, senior citizens, you know, housing. I mean, there are a lot of different 
uh, uh, challenges that we face. And so entrepreneurship has never been high on the level on, on, on the list of priorities. And that's unfortunate uh, because if you don't have a strong business class, then it affects the entire community. You have to have a strong business class, strong uh, uh, businesses. We hire one another. If you look at black companies and Asian companies and white companies and Hispanic companies, and you look at the composition of workers at those various companies and corporations, black people hire the largest percentage of black people. And in many industries, we're not welcome. We know in the tech industry, we thought that that was going to work out for us because of course we're bright, we're creative, you know, we're brilliant. Uh, but you know, they talk about it's not a good cultural fit. So what does that mean? <laughs> that means that we need to create our own businesses, you know, make money and turn around and hire our folks, you know, and when we're making money, then we can demand better schools, uh, better um, health, uh, um, um, outcomes and treatments. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it's very important. And so unfortunately, since um, economic empowerment hasn't been a priority, we've been preyed upon uh, and we continue to be preyed upon. We're viewed as, you know, consumers, people to that, that uh, uh, can be uh, manipulated, used and abused for the financial wealth. Uh, and well-being of other people um, and, it, it, and, and everyone, everyone, um, you know, has basically um, um, used uh, our struggle and uh, um, our advocacy, um, our blood and tears to further themselves. And we've been left way behind everyone else. So that's why um, we focus on uh, Black economic empowerment, uh, because it's critical, it's incredibly critical to the well-being of our communities. We have to do better. Our children still aren't being educated. Um, and uh, again, I mean, I'm from the projects, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not special. Uh, there's a lot of brilliance out here, but if you're not exposed, if you're not taught, if you're not trained, um, then, then Oftentimes, you're not going to be able to, to, to you know, um, realize your potential and, um, and, and utilize your gifts so that you can support yourself, uh, create generational wealth, support your community. And um, that, that is something that even at this late stage of my life is, is, is the struggle that I'm committed to. Wow. Well, you know, uh, we see that you are um, helping people on a regular basis at the Harlem Business Alliance. What are some of the the, the needs of the people that come in to uh, to to seek help and, and and get your services? Oh, it runs the gamut. I mean, we have some people who are thinking about starting a business, so. They want to talk to someone about what it takes, you know, maybe talk about uh, to discuss their idea. What do they need to learn? Um, so the aspiring entrepreneurs, and I think it's important that entrepreneurship 
be something that's discussed and taught in school. And some, some countries, everyone is thinking about how do I start a business and, you know, working with their family business. But, you know, it's, it's, it's individual entrepreneurship is key to the way many people live and operate, you know, around the world. In this country and in this community, that hasn't been a focus. And it is very important. So aspiring entrepreneurs are very important. Then we have those individuals who are business people. You know, they might have um, a brick and mortar, which means that they actually have a store. So they may, may need help negotiating a lease or um, gaining access to capital. Um, during COVID, um, some of them are look, were looking for ways to pivot from doing one type of business to another type of business. So talking to our business specialists about that. Um, they may want to um, uh, expand their business and uh, move into, uh, you know, not just focus globally, but um, also, you know, internationally. We've had all types of different clients. It runs the gamut. Mm. Uh, those individuals who are interested in tech, interested in cannabis, interested in retail, interested in food. Um, yeah, one client, for example, they're interested in um, in creating a frozen food line. So, so what can we do to help to facilitate that? Uh, where can we look for, you know, do you look into co-packing, um, um, you know, looking into space? Where can, where can you find affordable space? You know, and that's extremely mm -hmm. difficult. So the other things that we at the Harlem Business Alliance have done over the years is, is to look at policy because uh, sometimes people don't understand how public policy affects um, the growth um, in, in the well-being of a community. And in this community, there was very little focus, again, on creating uh, a strong class of entrepreneurs. So when the city disinvested, a lot of property went into uh, city ownership. Mm -hmm. When the property was uh, renovated, uh, the commercial spaces, for example, they uh, many properties weren't renovated with commercial space. And those that were uh under city ownership, the city did not provide leases, uh, a real lease. They called it a one uh, a month to month lease. Really? So, you yes. Can't, you can't. Uh, you can't do anything with it. You go to the bank and try and get some uh, a loan so that you can buy inventory. Uh, you, you, they they will turn you down. The first thing they want to see is a lease. Mm -hmm. But the city mm -hmm. would only do month to month leases for the longest time. So when people say, well, why aren't there more black businesses? It's because of that. We have immigrants who are able to come into the community and open up because they had their own networks uh, that provided them with capital. They didn't care whether or not they were on a month to month lease or not. They had the space and they had access to capital. Um, we unfortunately didn't have that. So, um, there have been a number of impediments because again, it wasn't a priority. So we have, we, we talked about the rezoning of 125th street and how that could be done in such a way that it would benefit, 
you know, our local entrepreneurs. We felt that mm-hmm. they should be first and foremost uh, considered uh, for space, ground level space along 125th Street, uh, black owned businesses, you know, for a portion of mm-hmm. each and every development. It was difficult <laughs> to get a consensus within the community amongst our leadership to actually make that uh, happen. Really? So um, we continue to express the need for affordable commercial space. Uh, when President Clinton, they brought him to 125th Street. That was supposed to be a great thing. Uh, and he talked about um, his wish not to negatively impact the cost of rent in spaces along 125th Street. But of course, as soon as they made the announcement, rents went up and some of the entrepreneurs were displaced. They were just, you know, mm-hmm. commercial rent, there's no cap. There's no cap on commercial rent. So, you know, they can triple, you know, quadruple your rent. If you can't pay it, you're out. Wow. So of course, that had a negative impact and nothing was done to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Nothing was done. Just talk. So, um, yeah, that's just, just some of the things that, that we struggle with. Uh, we call the question, uh, but again, if you don't have a strong merchant class, a strong business class to uh, demand that your leadership, your elected leadership focuses on making certain that you succeed, that you generate money, that the money circulates within your community like other communities do, uh, then you will always be preyed upon and obstacles put in place to make certain that you don't move out of the consumer box or the prey, you know, being prey uh, into becoming a thriving community that cares for one another. It's children first and foremost, it's seniors families, neighbors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to COVID, 61 million visitors came to New York and um, millions of those people, uh, you know, came up to Harlem, bus tours, walking tours, uh, to visit the, the restaurants to see how black people live and, and so forth and so on. How important are the tourist dollars coming into Harlem for our local businesses? Well, I mean, tourism dollars are important. Everyone, everyone um, is interested in, in capturing uh, some of that money. And um, it needs to happen and it needed to happen. And it would have, we would have been able to benefit more from it um if um certain things have been put into place that is uh having um different uh um parts of the community where you had a strip you know strip of, of businesses um that that um were well designed had great products um and reflected the culture and was owned by you know the people mm-hmm. um 
for the most part, we had businesses that were scattered throughout the community. So we didn't have contiguous areas where you had, you know, black shops uh, and black restaurants. Uh, and, and we pushed for having a trolley, you know, a trolley, you know, a, a service that would go throughout the community. Um, that was voted down. Uh, we've had that was voted that was voted down. Yeah, it, it, we got no support for that idea. No, no support for that idea. Um, and we've had tour buses come through Harlem and 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 not stop at the various businesses. They would just ride by, uh, you know, as the tour operators commented on what that particular spot was. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were basically zooming in and out of the community. So I remember decades ago when, when the kids used to throw rocks at them because they wow. felt as though, you know, I mean, we were just on view. Uh, so no, uh, Harlem has never um, derived a significant portion of, of tourism dollars that it should uh, given the fact that it's more, you know it's one of the the most well known communities in the world, we yes. haven't as a people been able to benefit tremendously from that. All right, so how can we change that? What what can we do to 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 change that? That you haven't already been doing, or maybe we need to continue to do what you're doing. Uh, maybe we need to change the people uh, in office, or I mean, what suggestions? Since you've been at the the forefront of this struggle, how would you change it? What would you do? Well, with tourism, tourism, that's I would yes, we need a strong tourism board that is that receives resources. I mean, well-resourced uh, and, and has a, um, a great team of individuals. Uh, we have so many professionals out here who are so brilliant, so bright. They know social media, they know marketing, they know communications, um, they, uh, they know the community. So to be able to pull together, uh, you know, but the organization has to be well-funded. That's, that's first and foremost. It needs to be viewed as uh, a revenue producing, you know, actually a revenue producing uh, uh, entity that is able to um, draw in tourists, not only, you know, internationally, but also locally and pair them and, and make it easy for them to navigate the community and go to all the various businesses that remain um, in the community mm -hmm. and also work towards building up and providing spaces for additional uh, uh, businesses because we need many more. There are so few black owned businesses uh, in New York City, period. They say that it's less than 3%. Uh, we're about 20, 22% of the population and have about, they said before COVID, we had 3% of the businesses. And I think that, you know, that number has declined. So we might be down to 2% of the businesses. That's totally unacceptable. I mean, it, it's just, it just speaks volumes to the challenges that our entrepreneurs have faced and have not been able to overcome. And We're one gonna, of the major pieces is capital. Right. Well, okay, let's take a break. We'll take a short break. We'll come back to continue with my special guest, Ms. Regina Smith from the Harlem Business Alliance. And you're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be right back. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. 
Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-5535741 today. You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Oh, thank you there, Kimber. Uh, we are talking with uh, the executive director of the Harlem Business Alliance. And if you are a business person or thinking about going into business, your first stop should be the Harlem Business Alliance. Come by and see what uh, resources that uh, they may have that are available for you. So, uh, so, so Regina, we were talking about strengthening the uh, the tourism so that more dollars will flow into our community, more Black businesses will be able to flourish, and then that money will circulate longer in our community, and uh, it'll benefit uh, the the residents and uh, and so forth and so on. So uh, we were talking about how perhaps that could happen. Would you continue? I, uh, uh... Well, um, it's a little difficult now mm-hmm. um, because property values are so high, the rents are so high. And uh, that's the reason why 10, 15 years ago, we talked about affordable commercial space. And uh, one of the elected officials said, are you talking about rent control? Said, I'm not calling it rent control. Well, what I'm saying is that, what we were saying is that when the properties were renovated, a lot of subsidies went into the residential portion of those mixed-use properties. No subsidies were allocated for the commercial space. Mm. If you've been to Harlem, you've probably noticed that a lot of commercial space is vacant, and it's been that way for quite some time. And so the people who have been better able to take advantage of it, and let's be clear, other people do help out their entrepreneurs. So we had developers come into the community, purchase properties, renovate them, and find um, tenants, you know, uh, people to open up cafes because they knew that that would be an additional draw for the market rate rents that they were charging in their properties. Mm -hmm. So you'll see some cafes and restaurants that aren't Black-owned because the developers weren't Black-owned. You know, they weren't necessarily marketing to Black people. Mm-hmm. And they would find people within their network to 
run and operate those cafes, you know, again, as an attraction for those renters and, you know, and purchases. So the property values are crazy. The rents are crazy. There would have to be an initiative that will work towards acquiring property within the community for local Harlem-based Black entrepreneurs. That's what we were fighting for. That's what we wanted to see happen. Mm -hmm. See it occur at this point in time. I don't know whether or not it's possible. I certainly would hope that it, it, it would and that it can happen, but that's what needs to happen. If you want people to come here, they have to have places to go, you know, and we should have a lot more than we do. Uh, we need a lot more attractions. There are people who are, are incredibly interested in, 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 in being in a space. Uh, Mark 125, it needs to be developed. It needs to be redeveloped. Yes. Uh, we said that uh, it, should, uh, it, it should be a showcase of uh, uh, businesses uh, in their space. But the de Blasio administration wanted the bulk of the space to be utilized for arts and culture. Well, that's nice if they're going to be entrepreneurs, you know, if they're going to be selling uh, uh, their, their art, you know, whatever their creativity is. Uh, but that's what we were talking about. We said a much larger footprint needed to be allocated to entrepreneurs, whether they were in arts, in the arts or not. But that's what it needed to be. So, um, That didn't happen during the de Blasio administration. So hopefully during this administration, we could circle back to that. Uh, there will be individuals who will want to do a hotel and do residential units and that whole sort of thing. But we need a lot more space that's affordable for mm -hmm. Black entrepreneurs in Harlem. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Uh, where does your funding come from? Uh, is it donations? Uh, is it membership? Is it the, the, the state, uh, city? Okay, so um, our budget is modest. <laughs> it is really modest. Mm -hmm. So we get allocations from uh, discretionary funds from our city council persons. And so, and that goes back to 2007. Uh, it's not a lot of money. Um, we've haven't gotten a direct state grant ever. Uh, we've gotten uh, small um, grants through um, the local uh, Harlem Community Development Corporation for small initiatives. Uh, it's not a lot of money. Um, we've gotten some grants uh, from foundations, small rather small for the most part. Uh, we got a multi-year grant um, to run the uh, Lillian project, which was for native born black women, because they mm -hmm. saw that a lot of resources were being uh, um, targeted to immigrant communities. And so they wanted uh, some funds to be allocated and directed to black mothers because they know that if the mother is doing well, the children will do, will do well. 
they'll do much better. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was, uh, and, and then we received the federal grant that was a multi-year grant. Um, but what we found to be the case, and there have been you know studies about the fact that uh, nonprofit organizations that are run by black women mm-hmm. uh, tend to get the least amount of funding um, so that's definitely the case. And during the uh, Bloomberg administration, his 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 uh, their their thoughts were that uh, community-based organizations were redundant and inefficient, uh, and that the city could do much better. So he came to an event that we had and talked about the Department of Small Business Services. And so there will never be a government agency that will provide the type of care in time uh, that uh, HBA has, has given to our, um, our clients over the years. They are nine to five. Mm-hmm. We're not a nine to five. We work with our clients on the weekends, in the evenings, you know, wow. as need be. Sometimes we fuss with them if we need to. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just like we know what we have to do, you know, to work with our folks. And sometimes, um, we have to leave some of them alone. We tell them, listen, this is what you need to do. And if you're not ready to do it right now, you can come back when you're ready. Uh, or, you know, you ready? Okay, well, let's do this. And, you know, you have to get on the phone with the IRS with them in, in order to go and clear up something or with New York State to straighten out their DBA, doing business as, you know, the documentation mm-hmm. is really important. They want to get certified as an MWBE, you know, we'll, we will literally walk them through the process and we've had clients who you know brilliant i mean brilliant uh uh, folks uh who said that uh we really helped them to get through that onerous process to actually get them to the end and get them certified and so uh and and while we do that work we were also pushing the city to say okay well you you, you're interested in increasing the number of businesses that are certified what are you doing where are the contracts if you're not giving folks contracts, then you know you just you know you just hyping them up. They have the certification, they're not getting contracts. And we've been arguing year after year after year after year. And I, HBA, I'll be the only one on the call, MWBE advisory committee, asking us questions specifically about black contracts. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking about minorities. I'm asking specifically, how many contracts are you giving to black people? And how much? <laughs> and complaining about the fact that we get the lowest number and the lowest dollar amounts out of all of the minorities. Wow. Out of all of them, we're way at the bottom. And we were responsible for these policies. We were responsible for affirmative action, responsible for MWBE uh, procurement goals. And the state doesn't even disaggregate the data. They don't want you to know that Black folks aren't getting hardly any state dollars. And I was talking to a a, a woman who was working on a major project here in Harlem, who told me that it's easy for them to meet their 30% goal um, with white women and with Asians. They don't even have to get the Latinos and you know, forget it. I mean, we're all the way at the bottom. And this is a project in the black community, in our community. And this is what we've been dealing with Decade after decade after decade, we are always talking about minorities, group, 
And those groups, those individuals that are comprised minorities have their own organizations. So you have the Asians that are fighting for their people. You have the Hispanics, they're fighting for their people. And then you have black people fighting for everybody. And so, <laughs> and so we just fall to the bottom because I mean, it doesn't work. It doesn't work well if you don't focus on your own home. And they tell you, you know, you get on a plane and you know, the plane is going down, you have to put on your oxygen. What do they tell you? They don't tell you to put on everybody else's mask in the plane. Right, they tell right. you to put it on your face first and then your child. They don't even tell you to put it on your child first. So they put it on your face first. But no, what do black people do? We run around a whole plane and make certain everybody has a mask on. And then when we get back to ours, you know, hopefully we're not out of breath and we can put it on ours. And then, oh, yes, <laughs> oh, let me put one on my child. You know, I mean, it's just like we can't. I know we're wonderful people. We're caring. We're incredibly empathetic and all the rest of that. We have to take care of home first. Absolutely correct. Absolutely. So, all right. Now, let us then kind of move on into the uh, cannabis situation now with the, uh, uh, it's called, you call it the economic restorative justice. Uh, tell us about that. I, I, I did see this video of you presenting in front of the city council uh, some years ago. Uh, about the the marijuana provisions as far as the regulations are concerned, and you laid it out beautifully. Uh, and and uh, so tell us tell us about that because that's so important right now. They're giving out these licenses, but we want to make sure that our community benefits from this. Tell us about. Yeah, your absolutely. So uh, we had a brother, uh, Doctor Eddie Ellis. He he went to Greenwood upstate. Um, and, uh, you know, cause we have a, a, a lot of bright brothers, extremely, you know, bright brothers who wound up in jail or in jail now. Uh, but he went to prison and he and, and a group of brothers, uh, noticed that the bulk of the, um, inmates came from seven neighborhoods. So, uh, of course, Central Home, you know, communities in, in Brooklyn, the Bronx, you know, we, we know where, you know, Black communities around the city. And then they did a study, a further study, because they also realized that, you know, there were a number of brothers that were uh, from um, other Black communities around the state, you know, like mm -hmm. Rochester and, you know, and, and out in Long Island, wherever Black folks were centered and um, they were there. And so um, these prisons were the economic engine for many of these upstate communities. And um, you, you mean the upstate communities flourished from having the prison? Yeah, white, white upstate communities flourished uh, from uh, the prison populations that uh, people that were being incarcerated. And um, our communities were devastated. So mm -hmm. the war on drugs, uh, and the Rockefeller uh, laws, it, it, it was it was just diabolical. That's how I describe it. You know, it was diabolical in in, in terms of the design of 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 just um, um, t 
terrorizing communities, you know, the stop and frisk, that whole sort of thing, no jobs, no way of making any money, uh, 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 funneling drugs into communities, into our communities, and then in, in locking people up, especially when it came to cannabis. I mean, minor, minor offenses and whatnot, you know, I mean, if you had some weed on you, they would lock you up. I mean, it was just really diabolical and it was intentional. And this was New York State. It was, you know, it was New York City. It was these, these various cities around the state where that's what they did. They harmed black and brown people intentionally. Uh, and um, it's the money. It, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, for people who are listening in who are not familiar with this, uh, even Richard Nixon's lawyer later came out years later uh, and said that it was a, a, a diabolical plot to get rid mm -hmm. of black folks and send them to prison and mm -hmm. all that. So, yes, so you could, you, you're right. Continue, please. And to make millions and billions of dollars. When you think about the time, you know, going back to the 50s or before, to the mm -hmm. present. Uh, uh, Eddie Ellis, the study that he did, the seven neighborhoods, they also saw that there were certain blocks uh, where the money that was being made on the incarceration of these black bodies, it was millions of dollars. So uh, Columbia University actually took on the project. It's called the Million Dollar Block Project. Mm -hmm. And they have maps. And these maps have blocks. And with nothing but red dots, you know, I mean, just scattered throughout, you know, uh, uh, those, especially housing projects, uh, but through, you know, black communities, millions and millions of dollars that was extracted because the criminal injustice system is basically a huge money grab. And there are so many people who make a ton of money and again, it's been billions of dollars. So we talk about with cannabis as with, the um, what was it? Um, the numbers, when we were in the numbers, you know, they said they wanted to legalize oh. the numbers and that's what they did. And then, you know, numbers wasn't a thing anymore in our community, but they, they uh, uh, persuaded um, some of the numbers people to try to make that transition. But then, you know, it, it they really didn't want them to transition. They just wanted to put them out of business and to lock some of them up. And so we were concerned about how the legalization of, of uh, cannabis or marijuana would unfold. And we watched and we studied what was being done in other parts of the country. And we saw that the social equity language that was included that was supposed to redress the harm and make certain that there was some social equity uh, in the legislation that was written and in the policies that were uh, designed, mm -hmm. that um, there was focus on a criminal justice piece, which is critically important. A lot of these people should not have been incarcerated at all, should be let out of jail, and really should be paid for the harm that they suffered as well as their family and our communities. We're being so, caught with one or two joints on them. Yes. I mean, it, it absolutely, absolutely, it was diabolical. That's just, that's the best way to, to phrase it. And um, 
So what we saw across the nation is that it wasn't working for black people. Black people weren't getting the licenses, you know, for a whole host of different reasons. And we're saying, well, wait a minute, you can't bring that here to New York. We can't have that. We can't allow that to happen here in New York. Um, so that's why we stated that a number of things needed to happen. The focus needed to be on individuals and communities most harmed across this state. We said that a lot of money, at least half a billion dollars, needed to be allocated so that community-based organizations around the states from those communities would be funding the organizations that have been doing the work, could be funded to support the creation of businesses that would thrive in this industry. We said that they needed to be first to market. We said that uh, our community should be only, only people most harmed from within the community should be able to open up businesses within our communities, but that we shouldn't be limited to opening up businesses in our community. We should also be able to open up businesses wherever we like, uh, that we shouldn't have to pay taxes. We've paid our taxes. We've, more, we've done more than that, that uh, it shouldn't be about lending most harm individuals money to get into this space. They should be forgivable loans. That's what the PPP program was during COVID. They were throwing millions and millions and millions of dollars to businesses, many of which didn't need the money. That's right. But if you met certain criteria, then it was forgiven. Well, we say, all right, well, that's what should happen here. You know, you provide the financing and you have the terms, the terms are met and they should be reasonable and not onerous. It should be forgiven. So um, we said that there should be an exclusivity period also where we have a chance to incubate. Don't put us out there competing with, you know, these huge multi-state organizations, corporations that have been in this industry already to come in and monopolize everything. No, we need to be first to market. If you first to market, you do very well, especially if you come in with the right quality, you know, it's nicely branded. You can do very well. We should be first to market. Right. So we saw what, uh, the previous governor did when he uh, gave all of the licenses for medical marijuana to white folks. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm-hmm. Not one went to a black applicant and there were black applicants, not one. So, um, so we've been looking at it, we've been critiquing it, we've been uh, pushing for uh, what we believe will, re- will, will result in true equity, and we're still working on that. Um, it's, 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 it's very important that New York State gets this right, um, and if we do, then there's hope for other parts of the country. Well, we're down to about uh, two minutes left, Regina. This has been so very uh informative as well as uh, uh, I've got a chance to, to talk to you about this and to find out perhaps how I can uh, help you in some of this uh, with uh, Harlem America. Uh, I do want you to, since we've, since we've got, uh, I guess, less than two minutes now, real quickly, what can you say to our community? 
I would say be strong, take care of your health. It's very important that we take care of our health. If you're not healthy, you can't be a good soldier. <laughs> you can't. So that's first and foremost, take care of your health. I caught COVID. I was out for about a month. It took me a long time to get my act together. So uh, I just, just pay attention uh, and, and do what you can. Reach out for assistance. You can come to the Holland Business Alliance. We'll try and help you. If we can't, we'll refer you to another organization. Get the information that you need. And also, when you speak to your representatives, don't ask them about minorities. Don't talk about people of color. Don't talk about that. Say, what are you doing specifically for Black people the way other people ask specific questions about theirs? Thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been my pleasure to uh, speak with Regina Smith, Executive Director of the Harlem Business Alliance. I hope you've gotten something from this uh, conversation. And please remember to check us out on harlemamerica.com for our wonderful articles, our radio podcasts, and our Harlem America TV, which you can download on your phone. I'm G. Keith Alexander. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walk the mile in his or her shoes. And remember, life is tough, but you're tougher. See you next week. Friday at 1. Bye. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.